My name is Chris Lainsurf, the church is senior pastor with my wife, Liz, and a great privilege. And today uh, we're starting a new series called Glorious. And uh, the thinking about that is, is really that, um, uh, well, let me just start with a little story. I think some of you have heard me tell the story of how when I was a kid, um, my dad, because he worked all the hours that God sent, tended to be the kind of guy who came back very late after I was gone to bed. Uh, he was usually around for breakfast, uh, but when he was at home the weekend, he just slept. I mean, he really did. He just slept. He had this big old armchair, and he used to watch a lot of TV, work for the BBC, and had to do that. And he just would fall asleep. And so apart from holidays, he was pretty much absent. But there was this one glorious day. In fact, it happened two or three times when he said to me, he said, uh, would you uh, like to come? It's the holidays. Would you like to come to work with me today? And I said, wow, that would be great. It would be really interesting. Thank you. I was probably about, eight, probably about nine or ten, something like that. So we went up to uh, the old BBC television centre, and uh, uh, I spent the day with him. And he, he was head of auditions for the BBC in the 60s, the height of sort of light entertainment in the UK. And as we went around that day doing various meetings and things like that, I realised that everyone, and I mean everyone, knew my dad. And uh, I met uh, all sorts of uh, celebrities, uh, I met uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, uh, I, Eric Sykes, all these comedians, all these guys. Some of you older guys will remember these. I even met Rolf Harris, would you believe? Uh, but they all said, hi, Ronnie, how are you? By the way, on that meeting, and everybody, everybody knew my dad, and my dad was animated and, and energized. And I have to say, I was so proud of him. I was so proud. I didn't know that that was... My dad was like that. I'd never seen, I'd, I'd just seen my dad asleep, basically, and <laughs> usually with his mouth open, like that, and, um, uh, and on holidays. But it was a complete eye-opener to me. And I, I say that to say this. Um, we, as a church, this movement, this vineyard movement, was born in the 80s, and Fliss and I had the great privilege of being right in at the beginning with it, with our... You know, knew our founder, John Wimber, personally, and counted him as a mentor. And what God was doing in the 80s for the Christian church was he was restoring what we called intimacy. It, 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 it's partly to do with the way we worship, but it's an attitude. Up until that point, God had been a very distant, scary person. But God wanted to woo his people, wanted to... Uh, invite his people to come to draw close to him. And the vineyard as a movement was birth. And in fact, our, our music and our, our influence and our teaching went all over the world in due course and still is, is to be frank, regarded, regarded very highly. Uh, and God was restoring what we call intimacy. So we have grown up. Maybe this is true for you. Not everybody has been with us all the time, but... but you kind of grow up just knowing God as your father. And that's been a very, very powerful message as, uh, as so many did not know their father or knew their father like I knew my father, sort of asleep in the chair. You know. and, and it's been an incredibly powerful message. And, and basically, God has wooed us and we've fallen in love with his, him through our Savior, Jesus, and and, and we regard him as a friend. We sing songs, you know, Jesus, you're more than a friend, and this kind of stuff. But I just sense in my spirit that without losing any of that, 
God is wanting to now, as we come of age and grow up a little bit, really begin to help us to understand or appreciate a little bit of the other side of God. It's actually not the other side of God because God is not two-faced, but, but it's a part of God that perhaps we've not majored on. And that's really God, the, you know, God Almighty, the King of all glory, the master of the universe of all that is seen and unseen. So this little series, over the next four or five weeks, we're going to be looking at various heavy-duty prophetic passages, and actually the scriptures are full of them, and majoring on possibly the most difficult types of, of prophetic words, where it, it's, it's all about kind of visions of heaven, and there's four-headed beasts and all sorts of crazy stuff. And... and you know, it's a bit of a challenge to us as preachers. I was, I'm actually quite nervous about this. Is why I'm talking so much. You know, not actually having a Bible. You know, uh, but um, but I think going into this, I'll, I'll just say this one thing. Whenever we read these prophetic passages, just listen out for the prophet saying, "And in the midst of the cloud, I saw something like a da 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 da." He's trying to describe the indescribable. You know, is it, is it a beast with four wheels on each ear and scooting along the ground? I don't know, but, but he's trying to describe that. And I, what I want, what I pray, and what we're going to try and aspire to do, as well as having this wonderful fatherly relationship with him, is growing in the love and the awe and respect, just as that nine, ten-year-old kid saw his father at the BBC in a different light. He was still my dad, and we still had a great deal of fun on holiday. He was great on holidays. But with Father God, who loves me and loves you, we need to know that he's not just our best mate who, as I'm fond of often saying, finds us parking spaces. Okay? So with that, I'm going to pray, and we'll get into this word. I'm going to actually allow a little opportunity for ministry. I felt that God should, uh, was prompting me to do that. I, 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 to be honest with you, at this stage, I often have an idea. I don't know what that would be about, but we're going to do that. And uh, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you to you. This is an exciting journey, if not a little bit uh, intimidating, that we should know you not just as our Heavenly Father, the one who wishes and longs to be revealed to us as Abba, Father, but also as the God of all that is seen and unseen. And so, Jesus, will you help us to know the Father? Father, will you help us to know Jesus? And Holy Spirit, will you help us to know Jesus and the Father as you would be known, as you would be known, not as we would like you to be. And so help us, Lord, now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm reading through Mark's Gospel, finished it this week in my personal study time, and, and uh, we're, we're into, I was into uh, Mark chapter 14, and uh, I, I always find Mark's Gospel very moving. It's, it's very direct, it's very simple, it's warts and all, but uh, as we got into the Garden of Gethsemane, and for those of you who, who don't know, Jesus you know, he uh, suddenly burst onto the scene when he was about 30. He taught and healed and traveled, you know, just by you know, walking around Galilee and, the, and Jerusalem. Uh, he, he taught people. Uh, but after about two or three years, 
uh, a great groundswell amongst the powers that be of, of resistance and hatred began to build. And uh, Jesus is ultimately arrested, and uh, is, uh, there's a mock trial, and he ends up on the cross where he dies for the sins of the world. It was actually God's plan for that, and ultimately rises from the dead. But I was reading this week, and I found myself in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that always gets my attention, because as some of you know, I had the privilege of going to the Holy Land on a personal retreat. I didn't go with a tour or anything about six or seven years ago, and I had many wonderful stories and experiences, but one of the places I find the most moving was the Garden of Gethsemane, because that place is full of these really ancient olives, and these things live to you know, thousands of years, and uh, the, the, the trees in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're huge, great, gnarly things, and they were probably the very trees that Jesus you know, lent against and wept against and the disciples fell asleep. And I just found that so moving that these living things were like witnesses to that. And it's like always it's a very powerful image. I don't know whether it does anything for you, but it really does something for me. And uh, so here we are. I find myself in this Garden of Gethsemane. And then before long, uh, you know, uh, he, uh, they hear a noise and there's a bunch of armed men coming through the grove and, and uh, Jesus is arrested and then there's this haunting verse. There's a bit of a scuffle in Mark's gospel. Uh, Peter tries to sort of uh, fight it out and somebody loses an ear and then Jesus heals that, believe it or not. That's the tradition anyway. And then there's this, this verse, when, verse 50 in uh, Mark 14 where it says, Then everyone de- deserted him and fled. Everyone, all his friends, his disciples. Peter, who said, I'll never, I'll die for you, all this kind of stuff. He's on his own. And he's carried off. And he finds himself in, in uh, the Sanhedrin, which is the kind of Jewish religious court. And, uh, you know, they, 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 there's a huge hubbub going on, and people are tossing out half cocked accusations and all the rest of it. And uh, Jesus just stands there, taking the odd blow and being spat at and all the rest of it, not resisting, not doing anything. He's, he's at his most vulnerable. He's on his own. None of the crowd that have lauded him and applauded him are there. He's, he's as the scripture says, he's like, he's, he's surrounded by bulls, bulls of Bashan, it says, you know. He's on his own, being tormented. Anyway, finally, we find ourselves in the presence of the high priest and all this kind of hullabaloo and these accusations have been going around. And then we have this passage, and we'll just throw that up on the screen, Mark 14, 55 on. It says here, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not agree. And they could not put him to death. But they did not find any uh, cause against him. 56. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another, not made with human hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? Jesus just stood there. Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. He's most vulnerable. Finally, he's in the hands of those he knew were trying to kill him. 
Finally, he is powerless and present there. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Very direct question. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And at this, Jesus responds. To this, he responds. He says, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Suddenly, it's as if he breaks cover. He's kept them guessing all of this time. And then finally, at just the right time, when he, curiously enough, is in control of proceedings, although all hell seems to be breaking loose, he finally chooses to answer. And this statement is staggering. And I was in the garden, my own garden, praying and reading this, and this just leapt out to me. That juxtaposition of his vulnerability and his weakness and then suddenly he comes out with this statement. He comes out with this statement. And I just, as I read that, I am and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of him. It was just this kind of sense of the glory of God breaking into this darkness, the glory of God, the presence of God coming into this difficulty this turmoil and torment. And I thought, God, I want to know more about the glory of God. I want to know more about the glory of God because it peppers this. But I tend not to read that because I want to know Jesus, my friend, and Abba, Father. God, I need to come of age and I need to grow up. I've got a little video clip here just to help us transition. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope it helps you, and I hope it blesses you. Thank you. Uh, not that one. Okay. Thank you so much. That's fine. I'm going to carry on preaching, and then there's another one. It's called The Glory of God, and we'll call on that one later. Okay, great. That is actually wonderful. That was recorded here, called Glorious, but thank you. Okay, so let's just unpack this statement then of Jesus's. He begins by saying, I am. Now, some of you who know your Bible a little bit will know that that in itself is a profound statement in this context. You see, when Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt, was wrestling, as it were, with God, God was saying, Come here, boy. I've got, a mess. I've got a mission for you. I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses is really not all that excited about this, this commission. And he has this kind of ongoing argument with him. And finally, Moses says, and let's look at it. We'll, um, where is it? It's in Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Let's just look at that. Let's just look at that conversation. So at one point in this dialogue where God is trying to persuade Moses to, 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 to go, Moses says to him, Moses said to God, verse 13, Exodus 13, Exodus 3 rather, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Who are you, God? What's your name? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
I am. So Jesus begins his response to the chief priest's question by saying, I am. Now, he might have got away with it if he left it at that, but of course he didn't. I am, you know, God our Father is the only I am. You know, if you ask me, who am I? I met a lot of people at our, our fair, our, our carnival in our village yesterday. And, you know, you introduce yourself and who are you? I'm, I'm Chris Lane, just moved into more and all this kind of stuff. You know, when you talk to people and when you're introducing yourself, say, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Felicity's husband or whatever it is. I am, I am, I am. You define yourself by your relationships or you define yourself by your role or your function or the kids or I'm so-and-so's mum, you know, all this kind of thing. I am. And we, we, that's, but God himself does not say, I am Jesus' dad. He doesn't do that. God is the source. And he says, I am. Who shall I send? send? I am sent me. I am. But Jesus doesn't stop there. So it's a divine title. And as I said, if he just said that, he could have got away with it. But oh no, Jesus, Jesus is, this is his moment now. This is his moment. He goes on, he says, in Mark 14, uh, verse 62, what does he say? Mark 14, verse 62. Okay. Mark 14, verse 62 says this, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Jesus' favorite title for himself in his ministry was Son of Man. Many of you know that. And it was ambiguous. Jesus loved being ambiguous, particularly when the scribes and Pharisees were trying to catch him and trap him. You see, in the book of Ezekiel, in a great prophetic thing which we might look at at some point. Ezekiel is referred to as son of man. So son of man get up, or son of man come here, or son of man do this. It is like a, 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 a you know, it's sort of like human being. Or, so so there's, there's this kind of association with an individual. But in the book of Daniel, son of man is something completely different. Son of man is entirely different. And... Uh, if we look at uh, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, let's flip to that. We'll see that. begins with a wonderful description. Here's Daniel having a prophetic dream. You know, he's trying to describe the indescribable, unless you've seen it. But uh, as he's having this vision, in verse 9, chapter 7, he says this, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, that is God the Father. Now, please don't understand that as a really old, decrepit person came down and tried to get with his, Zimmer, his golden Zimmer frame, trying to get up onto the throne. Ancient of days in this culture and this time, that was, that was a reference to one who is full of wisdom, one who is to be venerated, one who knows all things. In this prophetic language, it's not Referring to a senior citizen or an old age pensioner, as we used to call them. Ancient of days is a high title. God the Father, 
uh, is revealed in his glory. And let's just look at this. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. It seemed like it was some sort of chariot or something. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. And thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. In some versions, it talks about myriads of angels. Myriads of angels attended him. But the closing line here is, and the court, ah, we're in a court here, and the books were opened. That's a vision of God the Father taking his place to judge all things. And then in verse 13, we'll skip to that. Daniel goes on, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Ah, And what was this son of man doing? Coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus says, you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. So he's not not Ezekiel, son of man. Here, lad, come here, I've got a mission for you. He's not Moses getting... Jesus, at this point, again, breaks cover. And in, in the moment of extreme vulnerability where humanly all is said to be and seen to be lost. What Jesus does at that point is he says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man coming upon clouds of glory. That Daniel reference will not have been obscure or lost on these scribes, Pharisees, and teachers of the law. They will know at that point that Jesus is claiming divinity, oneness with God, and also is the prophetic, messianic, historical figure who is coming to judge them. I can imagine that as Jesus said that, in that moment, there was, in the midst of all the hullabaloo and the chaos and the almost rioting, that you could have heard a pin drop for a moment. Every single person will have known what Jesus was meaning at that point. And then suddenly, it's as if they wake up. And the high priest rents his clothes and says, blasphemy. And everybody, the crowd goes wild. Jesus, in his weakest moment, lays claim to divinity and being the one who comes to judge. Now, it could be said, if you were in a cynical moment, you could be said, well, he's just a desperate man, and it's the last death throes of a desperate man saying, you know, curse on your house, and I hope, you, you know, I hope your wheels drop off. You know, just spiteful, powerless, vindictive of a desperate man in a desperate moment. We, of course, know that that was not the case. We, of course, know that this same Jesus was condemned. Well, that was inevitable now. He was crucified on the cross. No great surprise after this. But we, as followers of Jesus, 
two millennia later, have the benefit of knowing that this same Jesus rose from the dead. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Only the great I am, only the Son of Man who's coming on clouds in glory to judge the quick and the dead, as it says in the King James Version, is the one who will do that. What an extraordinary turn of events. So we're going to run that little bit of video, and that'll give the chance for the band to come up, and then I can see if I can hear God's voice about what we're going to do as we draw this service to a close, but we're going to have a little ministry time. But let's, let's watch this. Thank you. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to say thank you, Lord, as always. But we want to know you as you would be known, Lord God, and we want to be a people who walk in the freedom of knowing that we are loved, dance for joy, knowing that we're saved, filled with hope and faith, knowing that we have an eternal future that is held with you. But we want to know you as you are and who you truly are. We want to see your glory, Lord God. We want to be a people who walk in the presence of God, lost in wonder, love, and praise, as the old Charles Wesley said in one of his great hymns. So please, dear God, would you, would you come now, Holy Spirit, would you minister to us as we minister to in worship, and then draw close, draw close to us, Lord, as you would, and, and may we know you as you would be known in Jesus' name. Amen.